Welcome to the Grace Church Conversations podcast, a weekly resource to help you apply Sunday to Monday. I'm Jared. And I'm Craig. How you doing, Craig? I'm well. How are you, Jared? No, I'm not doing too bad. Good. Did you have a good weekend? I had a very good weekend. That's good. I saw yeah. a movie. Yes. Yeah, I saw see? it was uh, First Man. It was about Neil First Armstrong oh, uh, yeah. landing on the moon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was really good. It was intense. Was it? Yeah, the, uh, the, the rockets they were in, the, you know... The uh, Saturn V uh, yeah. depicted in this one is a little bit more rickety sounding than in Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks. Gotcha. So, you know, it was pretty intense in the theater. I really enjoyed it. So great. But I'd recommend it. Good, good story. Great. Um, Are you yeah. going to have like a weekly movie review here? We Just, should. Yeah. We really should. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I haven't seen many movies lately, though, but that one was that was a good one. Good. So, well, thanks should, for the recommendation. Yeah, you should go see it. Okay. <laughs> I will. Thanks. Oh, man. All right. Well, uh, we want to invite you guys um, just to be texting in your questions related to the sermon. That's the whole reason why we're doing this podcast of just helping to uh, take what we're learning and, and, and the teachings that we're hearing on Sundays and apply that to Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, actually, and uh, just to grow together um, and to be a weekly resource for you to, to just grow in in becoming uh, more like Christ. So uh, on Sundays or throughout the week, if you think of something related to Sunday sermons, what you heard, um, please feel free to text into 469-573-2920 and ask a question related to the sermon. Now, Craig, on Sunday, uh, you were continuing on with the Sermon on the Mount, and we were in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, mm-hmm. and uh, Jesus kind of takes a break from the Beatitudes, and he starts talking about, um, you know, I'm not here to replace the law. I'm here in, in fulfillment of the law. Right. And you made the point that, you know, just contextually, the people there listening to him and hearing what he's saying probably had the question of, you know, he's saying, uh, you know, to be a part of, of the kingdom of Uh God, you know, we're people that recognize our need before him. Mm -hmm. We're, um, and and he goes through those beatitudes of describing what that's like. And those people hearing him probably were just thinking like, my goodness, is he just replacing Moses's law? Mm -hmm. Cause this is new stuff. Is he adding to it? Is he replacing it? Uh, and you made the point that Jesus doesn't come to tell a new story, but to fulfill the one that God was already working out. Um, and even more so he invites us into it, which right. is really cool. And so um, just in setup of our conversation, that's kind of where uh, you you uh, were taking us on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then we did receive uh, a few questions from from you, our listeners, and and, and just uh, being at church and everything. It, w- it was cool just seeing some people typing out some questions and whatnot, and then even exciting to, to get to read uh, some of them. Um, so let's get started on uh, these questions. So here's the first one. If there were no prophets during the 400 years of silence, that would be the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, how did anyone learn to know who God was and what his commandments were? Is this period of silence where the Pharisees came to influence and to be the people we see in the New Testament? Yeah, that's a really good question. On Sunday, just mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, Jesus comes and uh, while he's not uh, creating some kind of new story, we were, I was really trying to build the case that, that there's a continuation between the old covenant and the new covenant. It's a new covenant, but there's a continuation between uh, what happens in the Old Testament, what happens uh, in the New Testament, particularly in the ministry of Jesus. And just made the point that from the end of the Old Testament uh, to the coming of John the Baptist is 400 years-ish, um, where there there is no, there are no prophets uh, during that time. And so people were longing, expecting, you know, waiting for God to, uh, to act. So uh, the, the temple was rebuilt. We studied Nehemiah last year, and uh, the temple 
um, was rebuilt, completed in about 445 BC. And uh, then the last book of the Old Testament was probably written in the early 400s BC. Could have been Nehemiah, uh, could have been Malachi. Mm. Uh, Some say Esther could have been written around that time or maybe even a little bit uh, later. Um, So how did the people, you know, with no prophets during that time, the question the questioner is asking, how did they sort of function? Well, they had that's key. They had the temple uh, was rebuilt. Yeah, uh, they had the priesthood, uh, so they had their uh, their um, their worship, their system of worship uh, at the temple, and obviously they already had the law uh, and the prophets. I don't know about those last books there, but during that intertestamental period of time, they did have the scriptures, so they were taught uh, and practiced uh, the word. They weren't. Uh, the point is they weren't without God's word. Uh, they had God's written word recorded and taught, uh, which instructed them how to worship. So there was the worship of God during that time. The next prophet to come up is John the Baptist, uh, who shows up saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, and then the questioner also asks about the Pharisees. And um, that's a really good question, because when we uh, read the New Testament, if you've been around uh, and heard sermons from the Gospels, the Pharisees are the bad guys. Guys. They're the villains. Sure, yeah. Uh, and for us, they're the villains. I mean, for the in their environment, they're respected as godly individuals. Uh, but the Pharisees predate, uh, they predate that that period between Old and New Testament, the intertestamental period. Um, however, it does seem they come to prominence uh, during that time, probably about the second century BC. And uh, this is helpful to know. This is kind of a good thing for all of us to think about is that the uh, they start out as really good guys. They are like a back to the Bible movement. So mm. uh, there had been kind of a straying from God's people with God's people. And uh, they are like, no, let's get back to the law. Let's get back to the Bible. They're sort of the original Puritans in a sense. And they are, uh, they're trying to get people uh, back to obedience to the Lord, which is a good thing. By the time Jesus of the ministry of Jesus, uh, they kind of jumped the track because then they've really got into meticulous uh, sort of application. They've, as Jesus says, they forget the weightier matters mm. and they're just kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, working with external uh, means of obedience. So they they do drift into a um, much more of a kind of a hardcore external observation of the law and lose sort of the internal uh, motivation of genuine holiness. They start off good though. Mm. So that's a little bit uh, that the people had worship. They had the word of God. They had the temple during that period. Uh, they just didn't have... Um, you know, prophets speaking a new word from God until John the Baptist comes. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Uh, on Sunday, Pastor Craig mentioned that nothing we can do, that's you, you're Pastor Craig. Uh, on Sunday, <laughs> I'll just say this. On Sunday, you mentioned that nothing we can do gives us an additional standing above anyone else for God's favor. Um, and you made the participation trophy analogy, which I thought was excellent. How does our reward in heaven differ from one Christian to another if we all are equally loved and redeemed by God's grace through Jesus Christ? Right. Well, yeah, the participation trophy example I used, I'm glad this person brought that up. That was that was in my notes. That just kind of hit me at the moment. And those are always the dangerous ones. Um, things I just think up at the time. Illustrations that hit me on the fly and I sure, haven't thought yeah. them through, haven't thought the implications through. Um, so uh, that one, though, when I use that analogy, what I was trying to say is that... Um, 
that we we all naturally feel like we want to achieve something, that yeah. we want to merit something. And so uh, that's why we don't like the participation trophy, because I didn't earn anything, right? And so uh, that could sound like an, an like I was making, uh, I was saying it doesn't matter what you do, or there's, there's no incentive for obedience, you mm. know, if that's the case. So it's really important to make, I'm going to use two theological words here, it's really important to make a distinction between justification and sanctification. And uh, so I was talking about justification when I didn't use the word, but when I said that. So uh, the two words differ in this way. Justification is being declared right before God or to be be declared righteous before God. And uh, we all come to Christ as sinners. Uh, we're all guilty. None of us merit anything before him. Uh, and we all rely on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And when we receive by faith, when we repent of sin and receive by faith what he did for us, then we are declared righteous before God. Uh, the, the righteousness of Christ is credited to us, the theological word that's used is imputed. So his righteousness is imputed to us. So now our standard before God is righteous based on his obedience. Our sin is put upon Christ and uh, he dies for our sins to pay the price. So uh, we are viewed before God as those in Christ, we're put in Christ as those who are completely righteous. So we're all equally justified. There's no differentiation between one of us. You can't be more justified than you are right now if you're justified. You can't be less justified. You're not more justified than I am or I more than you. Mm. Um, And this is the basis of our relationship with God. We didn't do anything. Christ did us at all. We are passive and he did this for us. We simply receive it as a gift. So justification is against earning. It's against merit. It's against uh, what we do. It's all his merit. It's his death, his resurrection. So when I said we all want to earn, earnings foundational, you know, like we want to earn favor. I was talking about this idea of how do we become right with God? How are we forgiven this kind of a deal? And that's all based on God's grace. Um, Sometimes grace is defined as God's favor, uh, you know, to the undeserving. It's really God's favor to the ill-deserving. It's not that we're undeserving a favor. It's that we deserve judgment, and Mm. he he shows favor to us. Sanctification is different. Sanctification is once you're justified, once you're a new person in Christ, declared right, Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us, makes us a new, we're, we're made new people, we're born again, and then we grow. Uh, and mature into what um, what he's already declared us to be. And we are involved in that process. I'm going to turn here. You maybe hear the pages turning here. That's a good sound, right? That is. Uh, I'm going to turn to, I don't have this marked. I'm going to turn to Philippians because this is a passage that talks about, uh, talks about this. Um, in sanctification, we are involved in the process. So we are, our standing is secure because of our justification, but sanctification is sort of our effort uh, to follow Christ. It's empowered by his grace. It's empowered by his spirit, but we're still involved in that process. So Paul writes in Philippians um, 2, um, he writes in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not also 
not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So these are justified people. They're declared right before God. But now he's telling them, work that out. Uh, obey the Lord in fear and trembling because God is at work in you. So this is something that we do based on God's ongoing work mm-hmm. in us. So in that way, um, there is a sense of effort. There is a sense of not earning, but a sense of effort um, that we we uh, put into our growth in Christ. Our standing is secure. We're favored by God. We're sons and daughters approved in Christ. Um, but we are seeking to obey him as the spirit creates new desires in us and uh, changes us. So here's another way we could look at this. The person saying, well, are we really all equally favored? Um, is it really all a participation trophy? What about rewards yeah. in, in heaven? Yeah. That sort of thing. So I would think of it this way. In our justification, we're all equal. In our sanctification, we're not. I mean, here's the reality. Some people are more holy than others. Some are more <laughs> sanctified. Would you like me to share names? Uh, but no, uh, some are more uh, some are more sanctified. Would you like me to go through the pastoral team and tell you who's more or less sanctified? I'm I'm curious. Yes. I, w- <laughs> I would love to know. <laughs> I'd offer myself, but uh, I think I'd be disqualified if I said uh, if I said I was the most sanctified. Probably Caleb is, if you want to know. Mm, but you know, that's that that's fine for you to say. Yeah. I, I won't ask him because then if he He'll, you know exactly. if he affirmed that, it would invalidate his holiness. And I would say it's him, but I just know him. <laughs> le- I've known him for less amount of time. I've known Bob since like uh, ni- early nineties, nineteen nineties. I've known Rod oh. for fourteen years. So once you know someone a long time you know, all the skeletons in the closet and all that kind of stuff. So maybe I just don't know Caleb well as well. I've only known him a couple years and assume he's more sanctified, but there are, we are at different levels of maturity. And, um, so that's the difference. And so when the person says, do rewards differ, um, without getting into a whole theology of rewards, the Bible does seem to mention rewards sort of as an incentive, uh, to some degree for obedience, not the central incentive. I would say not even the primary incentive. Um, I think to glorify God, to love and serve others, those are primary incentives. But it does seem to indicate that not everybody is equally, um, you know, walking with the Lord, develop maturity in their godliness. So um, there, there is a difference and there is a reason we do want to, uh, our, our justification is to promote holiness, to promote repentance and growth in holiness. So it's a really good question. Or is there no distinguishing between believers or not that that's the goal? Is there any distinguishing in my own life between now and five years ago? Well, yeah. yes, I've grown in some areas. Mm. I'm more mature, more like Christ in some areas, but I'm not more justified. I'm not more right with him. So this is the tension, isn't it? Our position in him, our status before him, our identity in him can never change. We're in Christ declared righteous, but our sanctification, that's our growth in holiness. That can go up and down at times, but over the long haul, it's a pathway of uh, maturity in him. So I don't know if that helps, but I thought the question was really good because it was getting at this point. We have to always distinguish those two. Yeah, for sure. I I thought it was interesting when, uh, you know, when I saw this question, one thing I thought of was something that John Piper said in kind of response to the same sort of question of, you know, um, how, you know, if everyone is justified the same way, how does God, you know, reward things differently? Um, Mm -hmm. And he, and, and kind of his example, I think he kind of landed in the same places. It's really hard to articulate in such a short, you know, conversation, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, he kind of, his example was that, you know, 
it's not that we get to heaven. It's not that we're in God's presence. And, you know, I'm looking over at Craig and, you know, your mansion is a little bit bigger than mine. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit jealous or right. I'm, envy- you know, no one is in heaven right, in right. presence of God, uh, you know, feeling, you know, gypped. Right. Um, and he made the point of, you know, it's almost as if everyone has a cup and it yeah. is filled. It yeah, is over, yeah. it is overflowing, uh, with, you know, the reward of God, uh, that, that God is bestowing on it, onto his people. Um, but it's just the difference between the size of the cup, but yeah. no one has an empty cup. Capacity. Sort of, He's yeah. making a capacity difference there. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know, I, sure. I thought that that kind of impacted me sure. a little bit when I heard it, but yeah, yeah. Very um, good. So very, very helpful. That was, that was good. Um, Cool. Well, the next question was this. You brought up Ligonier uh, Ministry in conjunction with uh, Lifeway. They did the State of Theology survey that they do every other year. And you brought it up this past Sunday uh, just to make one of your points. And someone asked this. They said, the State of Theology survey has been eye-opening to look at. Would you say this highlights a failure of churches to actively teach solid theology? And what will Grace Church do to make sure its members don't have weak theology like that in the survey? Yeah. Well, in case folks don't know, let me say a little bit about it. It, You can go to stateoftheology.com, stateoftheology.com, and uh, you can see the survey, which is the 2018 version. And I think uh, they compare it to 2016, 2014 Mm -hmm. as well. And um, so it, it, it's questions asked. Um, I think they asked the, the general public and evangelicals, or is it just evangelicals? I can't remember. Uh, I think there's a, a way to filter through. You the, can filter. There's filters yeah, on the left side I, of the. I want to say that it, and I, I didn't go and look at this, but right. I, I want to say they, they asked for, for uh, de, um, defining questions to differentiate. Define if, you were, yeah, if you're an evangelical yeah, If or you're not. really yeah, an yeah. evangelical. Right, like right. they weren't uh, asking the voting block, no, no. you know, right. cultural evangelical. No, um, it was, do you believe, yeah, it had, it, they were, do you believe the scriptures of Authority to believe that right. you pers- do you, Christ is, uh, you know, died for our sins, and uh, so they ask questions of evangel to define the evangelical audience. Um, so um, some of the questions, the answers would not be surprising; they're great answers. Uh, and then some of them, the one I mentioned on Sunday, had to do with are people basically good, and um, so more than half of evangelicals had responded that yes, uh, that's the case. And so um, let me say this about it. So the question is: Has the church failed? If we're if uh, many of the questions reflect that you know um, that that uh, many people who took the survey seem to be ignorant of what the scripture teaches. Uh, when I first read a survey like that, my first inclination is, and the questioner is not this way at all, but my first inclination is to be a bit self righteous and like, why don't these people know anything about their Bibles? You know, mm. and so. I think it's really good to stop, and uh, when we see something like that, before grieving, before judging, before pointing fingers, to just say, you know what? Uh, first of all, I don't know everything. I, I, I wouldn't answer every question asked me correctly. And secondly, what I do know that's true of the Scripture—that's uh, really God's credited with that. Thank you, Lord. Mm, you know, it should really call, yeah. lead us to a place of gratitude. That, Lord, I've had teachers in my life. I've had influences in my life. I've had believers that have taken an interest in me. I've had people hand me a recommended book. Um, I've had people preach to me the scripture and help me understand and apply it. Um, 
And so I've learned some things about the Bible that yeah. are true. And, but th- that's no credit to me. I'm no better off. I, it, it, I can't look at myself. I'm better off maybe, but I, I can't, I'm, but I'm better off because of grace and a gift. So sometimes it's easy to go, man, all those ignorant people out there that don't they know that, you know, whatever. Right, right. So I think it's, first of all, if, if we look at something like that and we're able to say, uh, that's sad that someone doesn't understand a basic, uh, you know, Christian teaching. Like, for instance, Jesus was not created. That's a that's a big one on there that uh, most people believe that Jesus was created rather than he being eternal. You know, yeah. the eternal Son of God. So, uh, hey, uh, you know, I only I didn't know that on my own. I know that because somebody taught me that. So, first of all, thank you, Lord, that I have in my background some exposure to sound doctrine, sound teaching, and I've been in churches that taught that way, and. Um, so first of all, that. Secondly, um, I do think the survey recognizes, I don't know about a failure of the church, but it certainly points out weaknesses in the church. Yeah. I would say it's beyond the church. Weaknesses in the Christian home mm. as well. Uh, parents maybe that haven't taught children uh, yeah. biblical truth. Uh, I think it highlights a shifting cultural mindset where certain things could have been taken for granted historically that we can't take for granted anymore. Yeah. I think it recognizes a shifting cultural mindset that resists objective truth more and more. I think that shows up in there. Uh, it certainly resists the Bible as truth. Our, our culture does. Um, so as I read uh, the survey, I am absolutely concerned about it. Um, and the questioner says, how are we seeking to address this? How, you know, how, how are we seeking to uh, guard against that in our church? Well, this podcast. Yeah, I, exactly. I we're, I, we're putting all our eggs in this basket. I'll tell you what, I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was my immediate response. Because mm-hmm. I, I received this question over text rather than uh, through email by okay. that, that, uh, that number. Right. <laughs> that was my immediate response. Yeah. I was like, well, we started a podcast. Just listen to the podcast. <laughs> Answered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just listen to the podcast because we're, we're, uh, we're saving the world right here. Um, oh, my goodness. So well, funny. okay, how are we seeking to address that? First of all, we're trying to understand that that is the reality and acknowledge that's reality. Um, I think part of it's by trying to uh, teach and uh, model model biblical truth in the life of the church. Um, I think there's really two ways you address something like this. One is by teaching truth, and I think the other is by exposing error. Mm. Um, I think as a church, uh, we are better at the first the, uh, the former rather than the latter. And I put that on me. I, I don't think that, uh, I, I'm careful in exposing error and, uh, but I want to, I want to do that better. Um, and probably in a little bit more, um, explicit and less of an implicit sort of way. So the sermon illustration was a point we were exposing yeah. error yeah. in that. Um, mm-hmm. when I think about the former sort of, how do we, uh, equip the church? I think it starts at the youngest ages. So we carefully select our children's ministry curriculum that sound doctrinally. Um, I think as we work our way up, our work our way up, even in our student ministry in the last year or two, I think we've really grown in addressing cultural issues that affect all of us in our culture, but including students. So in the last year, addressing issues like sexuality and gender, these are parts of that survey, you know, so we're trying to address those in age appropriate ways in the life of the church. Uh, certainly you're involved in the rooted in, uh, in in rooted, which is the young adults ministry, trying to interact with not only sound doctrine, but trying to interact with cultural questions that are, are coming up. 
Um, we teach through books and passages typically. So the strength there is you cover what's in the Bible and you don't get to pick and choose what you want to talk about. So that's a strength. I don't think there's a weakness in that methodology per se. I'm not saying it's a flawed approach to teach through the Bible is not flawed, but I do think we live in a culture where things rise to the surface that if you're just teaching through the book of, I read from Philippians, Philippians, you know, it might take a year or two before you hit a cultural topic. Yeah. So I think we have to do a better job at saying, okay, what are the weaknesses theologically that are surfacing in our culture's understanding and in the church, more importantly, the church's understanding and how can we address them? So a couple of things we're kicking around right now. Next year in 2019, we are going to do a, a series that... Um, a Sunday morning series uh, that will be apologetic in nature, uh, which isn't, we're going to say we're sorry, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> giving a defense of the truth. So we're going to take some common questions about the authority of the Bible, um, about God's justice, about evil in the world, some very common questions yeah. that would be reflected in that, um, in that survey, and do some sermons about those on Sunday morning. We're also kicking around some ideas about some classes we could do that would uh, address uh, some of these uh, topics, something on theology mm. uh, would be in that mix. Excellent. Um, and I joked about the podcast. I don't know who's listening to this. Uh, beside, both our wives are listening. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They're the biggest fans, Yeah, they too. are. They're loving it. So both our wives are listening. <laughs> And I required, we did a pilot before last week and I kind of actually, I didn't require, but I begged the pastors to listen. They listened to it. So beyond that, I don't know if anyone's listening to this, but, uh, but I do think this is a venue where in the future we will try to address some, some of the kinds of things that came up in the state of theology uh, survey as yeah. well. So I would like to. I would like to be able to uh, do that. So yeah, for sure. in essence, when I see that, let's pause, let's give, let's give gratitude, be grateful to the Lord that he's opened our eyes, that he's teaching us. Let's realize that we haven't arrived and there's some things that we believe a couple years down the road, not on basic doctrine, like who is Jesus, but down the road, we may go, wow, we're growing as well. Yeah. Uh, and then let's, uh, let's look at how do we address biblical truth and expose error in a way that uh, serves folks in the church. And those are some ways we're trying, yeah. trying to address that. No, that's that's great, and I think you made a really important uh, point. Just for for those of us who who are you know probably make a habit of thinking through these things, and we look at a survey like this as kind of to your point, uh, an opportunity to feel uh, kind of proud of everything. Superior, you know. yeah, yeah, superior, right. and how could these people not know these? These right, are right. basic things, you right, know. Right, right. And uh, it, it, one thing that struck me in the past is is just remembering and and kind of the realization that struck me. Um, I don't remember when it was, but it's just the thought that there are secular uh, professors of, you know, Old Testament texts, right. New Testament texts, right. people that know probably more than I'll ever know about right. scripture and about the Bible and, probably, sure. and maybe even about, you know, Christian, you know, doctrine, uh, Christian theology, and they reject Christ. Right. So it's obviously not everything we know that no. saves us. It's not no. everything that we know that is, you know, to our benefit, but it's, it's the God who has loved us, you know, while we are still sinners. That's exactly it's the God right. who came to us and, and saved us when right. we, when he was the farthest thing from our mind. So, yeah. um, and we were blinded. Our eyes were, there's a certain degree to which we're the, you know, the new Testament speaks of Paul speaks of that, that we're blind. Our eyes are blinded apart yeah. from the grace of God to open them. So when we see people who, um, you know, maybe don't understand some basic truths of the scripture and maybe have been exposed like yeah. folks in this survey have, uh, then I think we have to look at that and, um, 
there's there's other issues there to deal with, maybe down in a future uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, but yeah. I, I uh, I'm glad they're doing that because I do think it gives a uh, it gives a read on at least where the church in America is and yeah, what, what are some what are some areas that we can. Um, um, you know, learn more about. And as we, I think as the church um, grows, the, the goal is not to pass theologies, uh, to pass a theology exam. The goal is to know Christ. Yeah. And so as we grow in our knowledge of scripture and truth, uh, the church will, um, will grow in strength and mm-hmm. power. And then our witness in the culture, I mean, I think we'll have a, uh, the more robust our theology is, if that's applied to our lives and changes us, the character of Christ changes us, then we really are salt and light in the culture. So yeah. growth in theology is to lead to growth and application in our lives uh, so that we represent Christ um, more faithfully in our culture. So, Yeah, that's great. And also, thanks for the little uh, hint, hint on uh, where we might be headed you for bet. next year. That's exciting. You bet. Cool. Well, we <laughs> we had one more question, um, and it was it was pretty in depth, kind of wrapped up in in the Sabbath and how we apply, you know, what Jesus is saying about fulfilling the law and ceremonial um, laws. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Civil and it, law. it's just such a, lo- a big conversation to be had. And <laughs> it's funny because the the last sentence of the question was this: If that's too much for the podcast discussion, any resources I can pursue would be helpful. Well, it's it, it, it's too much for the podcast. But a great question. Yeah, it's an excellent Questions, question. Plural, yeah. yeah, for sure. And and we've got you covered with resources. Um, <laughs> you made the joke that this is our first podcast giveaway. Yes, uh, we're going to give away. <laughs> we're going to do a giveaway. All right. What, what is it? What well, is the prize? Well, the prize is we're going to give, this is on a resource uh, shelf right now, but the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Kingdom Life in a Fallen World by Sinclair Ferguson uh if you can text this person back, because uh, they texted in the question, let yeah, them know. Sure. Uh, first of all, I'd be glad to talk with them more personally about it. They asked a number of questions that were very good, uh, but it was a little bit more too much for this uh, podcast. So we're going to give them a book, and uh, there's a chapter in the book that addresses some of the questions that were asked. So I, I hope that'll be helpful. Now, what I don't want to do here is encourage everybody to come up with the most difficult questions they can think <laughs> of, the most theologically and get uh, a free deep, book. And you, I get a free book out of it. You know, so uh, this person didn't do it for that reason, but uh, but I really appreciated the. They were excellent questions. I really yeah. appreciated it, um, and so we thought, hey, let's let's give a let's give them a book which will answer. Which the request is, can you pr- push me to some resources? We can give you resources. This is our first giveaway. Yeah, this is great. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. I'm tearing up. Well, wasn't it because Sinclair he called and said he wanted to give exactly. one, of our, one of our listeners a absolutely. book? Right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so we'll give this, and then if we have, uh, you know. Uh, in the future, we'll give other things away as well. So there, yeah. there you go. So I think we got four questions in. People texted in four questions during the sermon, and yeah, uh, it looks like we were able to at least touch on all of them. I, we won't be able to do that maybe every time, but today we thought let's uh, first time we got questions, let's let's answer them. Yeah, for sure. I thought it was great and uh, really helpful conversation to be had uh, just on these different aspects connected to uh, what we're talking through on Sunday mornings. Um, but you know, we had one more thing that we thought we might talk about, but we're kind of getting up there in minutes. So I'm thinking we might wrap it up. We'll save it for another time. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for your time, Craig. This was really helpful.
helpful. And, uh, and you know, we're prayerful, prayerfully hopeful that this is, uh, helpful to you as well. Um, just that this is a resource that will help, um, us all grow together, uh, to be more like Christ in an ongoing way throughout the week. Um, so again, we're inviting feedback. You know, we want to know what's helpful to you as listeners. And then we want to remind you on Sunday mornings as you're sitting in service and Craig says something and you have a question about it or whoever's preaching says something that maybe you have a question about the sermon, uh, feel free to text a question to 469-573-2920. And like today, we'll do our best to address it here on the podcast. So thanks for listening. Thanks to you, Craig. Bet. Thank you, Jared. All right. We'll see you guys Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.